Welcome to the Traveling On Radio Show, your premier source for travel news and information, featuring your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Now, the Traveling On Radio Show on TalkZone.com. And hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us today on the Traveling On Radio Show. We're your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, broadcasting live near our studios, or in our studios near Washington, D.C., and we're happy to be your travel partners today and every week at this time, and we're looking forward to sharing the next hour with you. And we have a fantastic show for you today. We are going to visit the beautiful country of Israel with Ari Summer, Israeli Tourism Commissioner for North and South America. Then you'll hear from our good friend Raj Mohan Gandhi as he reflects on his grandfather's life, current world events, and his plans as the newly elected president of Initiatives of Change. We were recently invited to moderate a Washington town hall meeting with Raj Mohan and members of the community, and we'll share that with you. As always, to join in on the conversation, call our studio line at 888-463-6748. That's 888-GO-FOR-IT. And, of course, you know, as you guys have probably heard, we are traveling to New Orleans next week uh, to broadcast live during the 26th Annual French Quarter Festival. We'll be there April 16th through the 19th, and we are inviting you to travel with us and join in on the broadcast on April 18th from Jackson Square. In order for you to do that, we have been given an exclusive rate at the Weston New Orleans Canal Place, and uh, we invite you to visit our blog or call the hotel and ask for the traveling on radio showroom block um, or visit our blog to obtain the code and the toll-free number there but we'd love to have you join us and we'd also love to have you join us on twitter and facebook where we give away lots of presents throughout uh, each each and every month uh, so uh, and you can do that from our website at travel n-on.com and of course, as Ian mentioned, um, we'd love to, uh, we are excited about our next guest. Uh, Israel is a small country, slightly larger than Massachusetts, and it lies at the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea. It's bordered on the southwest corner by uh, Egypt, Syria, and Jordan on the east, and Lebanon on the north, but despite but despite its uh, small size, the country is very rich in history, architecture, and culture. And Israel continues to host record numbers of visitors every year. And here to tell us more about the Holy Land is Ari Summer, Israel Tourism Commissioner for North and South America. Ari, welcome to Traveling on Radio. Thank you, and welcome to Israel. Thank oh, I, we'd love to certainly be there for real in person. <laughs> well, I want to congratulate you because I understand that Tel Aviv is na- uh, celebrating its 100th anniversary this year, and you just actually had a gala uh, to to spark the celebration. Yes, Tel Aviv is uh, celebrating, uh, as you mentioned, the 100 years uh, since it was uh, established. And the, the nice story is that uh, Tel Aviv used to be a suburb of Jaffa. Jaffa, a very ancient uh, city on the Mediterranean, and Tel Aviv was a very small, uh, very small uh, suburb. And uh, over the years, uh, Tel Aviv became a big city, and Jaffa became a suburb of Tel Aviv, and uh, became actually part of uh, the city of Tel Aviv. And uh, mm. uh, yeah, and we have a lot of uh, events going on in uh, in Tel Aviv uh, in the in the suburbs of Tel Aviv. 
Uh, many tourists are visiting uh, the city just uh, uh, to be part of the celebrations. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's great. It's very nice. And one of the things about Tel Aviv, even though it's celebrating its uh, 100th anniversary this year, it is really a city that combines the past and the present. And the present really is a city that is modern, that uh, has gleaming skyscrapers, beautiful white sand beaches. Uh, talk a little bit about, uh, about the cosmopolitan Tel Aviv. Uh, Tel Aviv became very, uh, very known uh, in the last few years in, uh, in the United States. Uh, many major uh, travel magazines wrote about the city, wrote about uh, the, the things that are going on there. Uh, Tel Aviv is, a, first of all, it's a business city. There are a lot of business people that are coming there. Um, uh, when you say that you compare, we have three major cities in, uh, in Israel. Um, Jerusalem is, of course, the capital of the state of Israel. It's like uh, Washington, D.C., uh, I would say that, um, and then we have Haifa, it's a more uh, industrial city, and Tel Aviv is really a city where it's a business city with a lot of uh, uh, businesses uh, over there, a lot of uh, business people are coming to the city, and yet it became like uh, New York, uh, a city that never sleeps, uh, mm. with, a lot of, uh, with a lot of cultural activities, with a lot of uh, restaurants, uh, um, a, a lot of things to do during the day, during the night. Uh, and almost uh, most of the tourists that are coming uh, to Israel uh, are spending some time in Tel Aviv, especially in Tel Aviv uh, that is so close to Jerusalem. It's like 40 minutes, uh, 40 minutes drive uh, from Jerusalem to Tel Aviv. So mm. uh, a tourist is staying in uh, in Jerusalem and uh, drives over to uh, to Tel Aviv, or vice versa, they stay in Tel Aviv and drive and uh, visit and visit uh, Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, really, Tel Aviv became a very young uh, place for young and also um, uh, more elderly people that are coming there just to rest. And uh, and some of them are uh, using Tel Aviv as a as a stay put for their for their uh, visits around the country. They stay in Tel Aviv and they take day tours. Uh, they, you know, you mentioned at the beginning, Israel is a small country, uh, smaller than the state, the state of New Jersey or other smaller countries. Um, and yet, uh, when you travel uh, travel there, you have a lot to see and uh, and then to do. And mm-hmm. Tel Aviv uh, can become also becomes also a, uh, a center for for the traveler that from Tel Aviv is doing all his tours. Well, you know, speaking of of tourists, uh, the tourists traveling to Israel and, and uh, Jerusalem and, and Tel Aviv in particular, Israel as a, as a whole uh, has really. Um, experienced record number in visitors and continually each and every year the number of visitors who travel uh, to the country tend to increase. What is it about Israel that is so alluring? I could speak for myself but I'd love to hear in your words uh, what what makes Israel just such a magical beautiful attractive place to go. Uh, Thank you. Uh, First of all I wanted the listeners to be aware of First of all, the numbers. Uh, 2008 was the best year ever for the state of Israel. Uh, this was also the 60th, the 60th birthday of the state of Israel. Uh, we had over 3 million tourists, as I mentioned. And from the United States, we had uh, some 650,000 Americans visiting the country, which is a very big number. And yet, Israel is a small country, and you don't feel that uh, everything is... Uh, the people have enough space, they travel... Uh, they have enough um, uh, hotels. The the roads are uh, open, uh, and the people are coming to Israel for 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 many uh, reasons, for different reasons. Whether you are Christian, that you want to come and visit the holy places, 
whether you are Catholic that is uh, coming uh, to to visit the holy places for Catholics, whether you are a Jew that wants to come to visit to visit the uh, relatives and to see the to see the country to visit the country. Uh, there are many, many, many different tourists for many different reasons to to visit the country. We are just have regular tourists that decide to to visit the country like they go to Europe. They come to the land at the airport. They rent a car. They travel from north to south, from east to west. They travel all over the country. We have great places up in the north. And the north is known uh, the Galilee area. Christians know about it. Jews know about it. But mm-hmm. uh, it's also a great place. We have a lot of. Uh, um, a very romantic and beautiful accommodation there, what we call here bed and breakfast in Europe, we call it simmers. And then you go to such places in the, the, the northern Galilee, uh, and you can spend great time over there. You don't have to be a Christian, you don't have to be a Jew just to come you know, to visit or Muslim <laughs> to visit Israel. You can come there and enjoy great time. Hmm. Now, Ari, uh, certainly uh, the the historic and the religious attractions are are the great pull for many. What are you discovering about uh, about the mix of people? Are they coming primarily to see those historical and religious sites, or are they also coming to experience uh, Israel from a vacation standpoint as a place of rest and relaxation and to just uh, unwind from uh, from from uh, their mundane lives, so to speak? Yeah, this is a very interesting question. And uh, some some years ago, like I would say until uh, five, six, six years ago, uh, most of the tourists used to come to Israel in groups, and whether they used to come to to the country with their synagogue, always to come with their church. Mm-hmm. They, they came to visit Israel because of religious reasons. They were looking for a religious uh, experience. And um, we still think that this is a very important uh, cause and very important reason. And in fact, we really are working um, um, very closely with the Christian communities and Jewish communities to make them uh, and to make them aware that uh, they know about the Holy Land, they know about the Holy Places, but they're not aware of what the country has to offer in terms of infrastructure, in terms of uh, modern hotels, in terms of uh, distances. They think that, uh, that it's a real uh, journey to travel to the country. They're not aware of it. They can fly nonstop uh, to, uh, to Israel. It's very easy to do, go there. But, so these are, these are people that are looking for the religious experience. Over mm-hmm. the last few years, because of the changes in the area, because of the political atmosphere, and because the country, became, the country in the region became more safe, safer and people are, I think, became more mature in traveling, we, we, uh, we find more and more um, uh, families and individuals that are coming on their own just to travel and visit the country with no, no other reason just to have a good vacation. It's, mm-hmm. it's true that everybody in the back of their mind, they know that this is the Holy Land, and if they want, they can visit the Western Wall. If they want, they can visit the Holy Sepulcher. If they want, they can visit the Garden Tomb. They can do it the way they want it, but it's not a religious tour that they are going on. It's just a tour that they are going to uh, to combine a good vacation and a cultural experience, I would say. Well, speaking of uh, visitors, you uh, next month, Israel, will have a very special visitor to uh, the country. Uh, tell us about Pope Benedict's uh, visit to the country and some of the festivities that you'll have surrounding his visit and uh, and other activities. Uh, yes, uh, we are all, of course, uh, <clears throat> very much, I'm sorry, very much excited. Uh, this is going to be a very important uh, visit, not only for Catholics, but I think for the world at large. 
that the Pope is coming uh, to visit uh, the, the Holy Land. And uh, we, we know that there are going to be many, many tourists that make it a point uh, to visit uh, the country during uh, the Pope's visit. Of course, the Pope will give the opportunity to many, many believers and many other people that want uh, to attend a special gathering. One is going to be in the north in Nazareth. One is going to be in the area of Jerusalem, where thousands of thousands of uh, Christians, and I believe that also non-Christians, will come and uh, to, to meet uh, the Pope. Uh, the Pope is going to stay in Israel like three days. He's going to visit the major uh, Christian attractions. Uh, he's going um, to visit also uh, some other other places like the Holocaust Museum in Israel. Um, and uh, we believe that this will really encourage more and more uh, not only Catholics, but uh, the travelers to come and to mm-hmm. the country uh, as a result of his visit. Mm-hmm. Um, Ari, as I, in our closing minutes here, I know you touched on just the ease of reaching Israel from so many places, particularly the United States, mm-hmm. where uh, Continental, Delta, LL, and Israel have 10 flights a day uh, uh, to, uh, to Israel. But one of the other things, too, is that... Uh, 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 the hotel rates are actually set in American dollars, and so the American traveler to Israel doesn't face any uh, any any currency effects in in terms of their travel, and that's a really big plus for those coming. Yeah, that's right. They don't have to convert. Uh, first of all, first of all, they they know they don't have to, con- they have to convert. Don't have to convert the hotel prices. That the the prices of hotel services, everything is quoted in dollars. They don't have to convert it into euros or other other uh, other uh, currencies. Uh, but in addition to that, as a result of what's happening, unfortunately, right now in many places in the world, and in the United States especially, with, with the difficulties in the economy, um, uh, the industry in Israel is uh, really offering uh, great, great uh, deals and great opportunities for people to come and visit uh, during, even during this, this, these times, uh, whatever was the, the, the room rate, uh, for instance, during uh, 2008, which was very high. Uh, now it's uh, almost 50% uh, the price. So people that can really have the time and they uh, can make it, I think that uh, this, is the, this is the time to travel and to get uh, good bargains in traveling to the country. Absolutely. And, and before we go, I'd love for you to share your website so that our listeners uh, can learn more about Israel and some of the activities and events that you have coming up in, uh, in, in this uh, historic year. Yes, our website uh, is www.goisrael.com. And in this, on this site, we have a lot of information about the country, a lot of information about events. We have a mini site there that will cover... Uh, on, the, on the hourly basis, also the visit of the Pope uh, in Israel. So there is a lot of things that um, that can be done on our and, and also other materials, films, uh, travel logs, uh, music. We can we can send it all to everybody. Wonderful, and and also um, lo- the location of some of your tourist offices. And I know you guys just opened up your first tourist office in China this year. Yes, yes, uh, and- and so our listeners who are, you know, comprise of people all over the world uh, can go to the site, uh, www.goisrael.com and find their local uh, tourism office. And Ari Sumner, we thank you so much for, uh, for joining us today on the Traveling On radio show and sharing so much about Israel. And, and certainly um, we're, we congratulate you on, on all of the wonderful things uh, that the country is offering. And, and we're excited about 
about the the Popples visit uh, next month as well, and and uh, just all the wonderful attractions and and the the progressive tourism uh, offerings that uh, that you're giving us as travelers. Uh, thank you so much for thank joining us today. Thank you very much. Our pleasure. You're listening to the Traveling On Radio Show. We're your host, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. And when we come back, we're going to join a conversation with Raj Mohan Gandhi, grandson of the late Mahatma Gandhi. We look forward to seeing you on the other side of this break. FrownsWorldTravel.com is the premier internet travel destination, offering you the best travel values for all your travel needs. Not only can you book the basics in travel, such as flights, rental cars, and hotels, but all think right. of this when you're planning Good a cruise. Deal. It wasn't cutting a complete too vacation close, was package, it? registering for your honeymoon, or searching for those last-minute travel deals. Unlike the other online booking sites, BronzeWorldTravel.com does not compromise customer service. Backed by a team of seasoned travel professionals and a nationally rated agency, at BronzeWorldTravel.com there is always someone available to answer your questions. We have so many great travel deals that you'll make us your first choice when it comes to travel. Visit BronzeWorldTravel.com today and discover the best values in travel. That's B-R-O-N-Z-E WorldTravel.com. BronzeWorldTravel.com, where we celebrate life through travel. Where can you book all of your travel needs at the best price? Purchase the latest travel gear and get the most current and comprehensive travel news and information? TravelinOn.com. That's TravelIn-On.com. Whether you're a seasoned traveler, novice, or whether you're planning a long trip or looking for a weekend getaway, TravelinOn.com as the tools to complete your travel plans. Go to TravelInOn.com. That's TravelIn-On.com. The Traveler's Best Resource. The best in Internet talk radio. A mind-bendingly ingenious plan to control the universe. We're building the best Internet talk radio on the planet. TalkZone.com. Let's return to the Travel and On Radio Show on TalkZone.com. And welcome back to the Travel and On Radio Show and with your host, Tanya Ian Fitzpatrick. And uh, just a quick reminder, we have some great social networks out there. We invite you to follow us on Twitter and Facebook and also sign up for our newsletter. And you can do all those great things from our website at TravelN-On.com. All right. And we've also got that uh, great trip to uh, New Orleans coming up soon, so uh, be sure to go online to learn all about that. Global citizenship and cross-cultural education are two of the core values of the Traveling On radio show. Recently, a good friend and former guest of the show, Rajmohan Gandhi, professor, journalist, and author of the widely acclaimed Gandhi, a true story of a man, his people, and an empire, the definitive biography of his grandfather, what a global town meeting at which Traveling On was granted unprecedented access. Gandhi, who's also president of Initiatives of Change International, a group dedicated to building trust across the world's divides, sat down with an audience to discuss the global financial crisis, President Obama's leadership, Iraq and Pakistan, among other topics, in an engaging town meeting. We invite you to join in on the conversation with Rajmohan Gandhi. Thank you very much. We are happy to have with us uh, Rajmohan Gandhi. And we are here to talk about initiatives of change and organization in which Rajmohan Gandhi is 
the president of. Uh, thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Ian. Talk to us about what you want to accomplish in your role as president of Initiatives of Change. Well, Initiatives of Change brings together people from all over the world of every conceivable background, and they're all doing what they can, where they can, to make a difference in the world. So my uh, greatest desire is to be of some support to these fantastic uh, personalities and persons in many parts of the world uh, as they work to uh, bridge divides, uh, to restore courage, uh, to revive the idea of uh, uh, the idea that this world is something that all of us have to share. Uh, one of the uh, core uh, ideas of uh, initiative of change is that there is enough in the world for everyone's need, but not enough for everyone's greed. Uh, that before a God-led unity every last problem can be solved, uh, that empty hands can be filled with work and empty stomachs with food and empty hearts with something really satisfying. So, so many people around the world associated with the initiatives of change and a great many other people not yet associated with initiatives of change are all working for something like this. And I would like to give to do whatever I can to lend support to this endeavor. Indeed. One of the things that you spoke about is just that each of us, every one of us, no matter where we are, no matter what our station in life, we have a role to play as change agents. And sometimes it's often hard for those who are in such need or have so many basic things that are needed in terms of food, shelter, clothing, folks who are, who are surviving out here to project themselves or view themselves as agents of change. We often look at, at leaders and the powerful to do those things for us. Speak to us about just how each of us in our own way and how, and how all of us do really matter in bringing about change, because it's not just about leadership that flows from the top, but it's really about envisioning all of us with that capability to lead, but leading lives that help to bring about change. Thank you, Ian, for this great question, and I would like to answer it by referring to a trip that 18 University of Illinois students uh, made with me and with my wife, Usha, just recently to India. Um, and uh, these students uh, spent nearly three weeks in and around New Delhi, the capital of India, and they had some wonderful opportunities to meet the leadership, to see some of the, to see some of the grand places in New Delhi and around New Delhi, the Taj Mahal, which is not very far in Agra. At the end of this uh, trip, I asked these 18 students to list uh, five of the most impactful experiences that they had. And all 18 of them said, that the most impactful experience they had was a visit they made to the homes of members of the so-called untouchable community in a corner of New Delhi, where in these very humble homes, uh, family members of these so-called untouchables 
received these University of Illinois students. As one of the students put it afterwards, these were the most beautiful people inside and outside that I have ever met. Uh, and they spoke about their families, these uh, host families. And the University of Illinois students started speaking about their experience. And some of them had these very tough experiences, Ian, that you were speaking of also. And an amazing bond was established. And so there I saw leadership being exercised uh, by uh, these people that many in the world would say these so-called untouchables, uh, what have they to give to lead the world? But that was the impact that they had made. Raj Mohan, one of the things about the times in which we find ourselves, uh, there is so much upheaval, there's so much challenge, and the possibilities of great changes as, as a result of uh, where we stand at, at in, in, in so many ways is such a perilous time in the minds of many, as we've seen financial markets undergo tremendous stress. We've seen issues of, uh, of uh, corruption, uh, whether it's political corruption, fraud within corporate structures all over the globe, not just limited to the United States and, and Europe, but we've seen this worldwide. Talk to us about the opportunity that really does exist for new ideas, new individuals to come forth in a time where we're faced with with, with some of these really difficult crises and difficult issues in which we're all going to have to uh, find our way out of? Well, as I think many here know, President Barack Obama has dared to say, he has dared to say that this incredible crisis has, contains an enormous opportunity. It is a an almost reckless statement to make, but he has made it. Uh, and as you have suggested in your question, Ian, it's something, it's a view that I share. And um, reflecting upon it, I am uh, drawn uh, to recall Abraham Lincoln's experience uh, when he uh, became president and uh, the Civil War soon started. And he faced a dire situation. And as many of us here know, one of the things that Lincoln did as time went on, he wasn't able to do this right away, but as time went on, he tried to figure out the deeper meaning of what was happening and why what was happening was happening. Why this great suffering? Why this costly war? Why was so much blood shed? And we all know that he reached this tremendous conclusion, a painful conclusion, a sobering conclusion about the link between slavery and the war that America had and the lives that America lost. Now, it seems to me that one way in which we will find, turn this crisis into an opportunity is for each one of us, wherever we are, to do a lot of reflecting on what is the deeper meaning of this crisis. Why is our world, why are our countries where they are? What is the real cause? 
And we may not immediately find the answer, but we have to make a courageous and honest reflection on why we are where we are. And once we begin to do that, each one of us, maybe we will be led uh, to ideas which will turn crisis into opportunity. Your name, sir, and your question. My name is Sayyid Muhammad Sayyid. I was born in Kashmir. When your grandfather came to Kashmir, at the time when India and Pakistan were created, it was the time of partition. And there was so much of death and destruction going around. And when he came to Kashmir, he said, I see a ray of hope in Kashmir. We are still looking forward and praying that Kashmir will play that role between India and Pakistan. But when we meet you to, today here, we met you last year, something has unique has happened here in America itself. Your father inspired one of our great leaders here in America, that is Martin Luther King, and he saw a dream, and we have worked for that dream. People have sacrificed for that. We have had civil war on a large scale between North and South and between people who supported segregation and who supported an American version of untouchables and all that. So we have, in a large, in a big way, succeeded in realizing that dream. So do you feel any change? Do you see that indirectly it could be traced to that great legacy that you represent and does it reinforce your own trust, confidence in that legacy? Oh, there's absolutely no doubt that uh, uh, the Obama election and the way in which he has faced the uh, exploding challenges and exponentially expanding challenges has inspired so many all, all over the world. Um, so that, and you know, when the other day, uh, speaking to the joint session, uh, President Obama said that we meet here today, we have our differences, we have sharp differences, but I start with the assumption that everyone here in this chamber loves America. Then we will go out and we'll have our disputes, we'll have our fights, and we'll come back and I will again say that everyone in this chamber loves America. I think that is a fantastic uh, idea for all our countries. Uh, <clears throat> Said Sahab, you know, I think not only of Kashmir, I think so much of Pakistan these days, not so much now of improving India-Pakistan relations, which is so important, but really of helping the people of Pakistan salvage and save their country. How do we assist the people of Pakistan uh, to, uh, to turn their country around? And I've made some visits to that country, and for whatever reason, it's my good luck, I have a lot of warmth for the people of Pakistan. When I go there, I, I, I want them to solve their problems. I want their, their, their problems to go away. I want them to be happy and united and strong and play their part in the world. And I have found that in Pakistan, as in many other parts of the world, we have str such preconceptions about others. He is like this, she is terrible, that person or that group from that part of Pakistan, they're just terrible. 
that political party was indescribably bad. Uh, so, you know, uh, in these uh, stores, if you go, you sometimes see people working in the stores, kind of these little guns with which they stick labels into products. So I, I find that the people of Pakistan have, with their guns, fixed labels on everybody else. Hopeless, impossible, no good, terrible, corrupt. I want a great program in Pakistan to recall all these labels. <laughs> and to find the patriot in everybody. As Obama found that everybody here loves America, I want somebody in Pakistan to say, all of us, I have fought with you, I have called you names, but I know that deep down you love your country. And let us together do something now to save it, to rebuild it. And the moment the hopelessly divided people of Pakistan come together, extremism and terrorism will, will, be, will, will be on its way out. One step of reconciliation, one step of bridge building, one honest attempt to restore a divided relationship, and terrorism, extremism, receive a blow against them. So uh, you're absolutely right that whatever is responsible for this amazing event in America today, that the rest of the world can also learn from how Obama is responding to the challenge. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> uh, hi, I'm Anjali Bamsai. I also come from Kashmir. Uh, but uh, apart from that, um, I, w I read your book that you had written on Gandhiji. And as I understand it, uh, Gandhiji's entire life was devoted to three main uh, uh, causes. One was uh, independence from colonial India. The second was uh, Hindu-Muslim unity. And the third was uh, fight against caste system within Hinduism. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting that you say that uh, so many years later, uh, the students from Illinois actually, found, uh, the, the untouchables, you, you mentioned Gandhiji staying with the yeah. untouchables in Delhi. And now so many years later, I'm really shocked to see that it's still all similar. So uh, my question is, uh, today, what kind of lessons can we draw from those three priorities and in today's world of extremism and etc., I mean, how do we reevaluate? And where do if Gandhiji were alive today, what would be his three or four main uh, goals that he would be fighting for? Yeah, um, you know, India is uh, in some areas done very well in the world, um, and India is regarded as a major economic power as well as a major force in the world. But so uh, much of India is still in such great need and there's such poverty and such misery and such unhappiness too in India. Um, and uh, earlier people were speaking about the corruption and Ian was mentioning enormous corruption in very high places. We have that too in, in, in India in a very conspicuous way. Um, and the relationship between the Hindus and the Muslims within India, and if we look at the subcontinent as a whole, the relationship between 
Hindus and Muslims on the subcontinent and between India and Pakistan. Those are very major questions that we have to, to continue to work on. And the high and low is very much there. In India, we, we have these incredible gradations. And many of us uh, try and look up to and sometimes flatter those who are our bosses. And we are very rough on those just below us. Uh, and as I've said sometimes, uh, we, we treat some people as gods and other people as dogs. Sadly, that is a reality in our part of the world and in many parts of the world. Uh, but I think you will agree, uh, Anjali, that uh, so many challenges in, in our world today are, are common to, to us all. Um, and so, um, if something, if America is able to respond to this incredible challenge that she faces, then uh, I think India too will learn, and, and vice versa. So, uh, I appreciate your underlining the enormous challenges in India. I wish I could say to you that I have some wonderful solutions so that in five years or two years it will be all different. But all I can say is that many people are working so that things, at least in some areas, are changing. And they are enough to give me some hope. I'm Tamim from Iraq. I want to uh, move the question from Pakistan, Kashmir, <laughs> to, to, the, to the same situation, but to the Middle East, to Iraq. Uh, my question is, uh, uh, you are talking about people labeling each other in Pakistan. It is the same in Iraq. Like we are Shia, we label Sunnis. We say, oh, the terrible people in Iraq are the Sunnis. The Sunnis are saying, okay, the terrible people in Iraq are Shia. Or then both of us, both of us, we would label other people. We would say it is not our fault. Maybe it is from outside Iraq. And then uh, in 2010, Obama will withdraw, will withdraw the uh, coalition forces. It is, from, on, on one hand, it is like it will be a blessing to get rid of the war. In general, uh, the only victims of war will be the innocents. And uh, the cause of war will be the spirits, the, of, the high value, the respectable spirits of people. So what do you think that the, the change in Iraq, the new change in Iraq? Many people are talking that it will be more and more crisis. So what do you think? It's, do you think that what is the good impact to withdraw? And do you think that Iraqis will be in trouble again? among themselves, and the civil war will, wear, will worsen, it will be more worse? Thank you. Well, uh, for, one of my responses would be to say that I wish there were more people in Iraq will ask the kind of question you're asking. So may your numbers multiply. Uh, and I'm sure it is happening too. Uh, I think you have put your finger on it. And I think each Iraqi has to ask herself or himself, who are my people? When I ask myself, who are my people, who do I think of? Is it just the Shia? Is it just the Sunni? Is it just the Kurds? Uh, or is it all the people of Iraq? Are they all my people? 
when clashes take place and we hear the news that so many people of this particular group have been killed, some of us sometimes are very pleased to hear that. When we hear that so many people of that group have been hurt, we may feel very sorry about it. As long as our hearts are like that, that they rejoice at the suffering of some people and are pained at the suffering of other people, we have to say to ourselves, my God, please do something to my heart. Uh, and, and may my heart expand so that all the people uh, I begin to feel are, are my people. So I want that to happen in Iraq. And it will be a fantastic thing if, if it can happen in Iraq. And then Iraqis can say to people elsewhere, look how we were and what's happened to us. It is it's a formidably difficult task. And as you rightly say, the expected departure of U.S. troops is celebrated by many and is causing great concern to many. Um, that is exactly what happened, uh, you know, in India. The British were in India for a long time, much longer than the Americans have been in Iraq. But when the British wanted to leave, uh, many in Pakistan said, wait a minute, wait a minute, if you go... The Hindus, who are in a great majority in India, will be very rough on us Muslims. Don't go. Or if you go, please partition us before you go. Uh, but Gandhi said that Hindus and Muslims must learn to live together. And he said that all the people of the subcontinent are my people. Uh, and many on the subcontinent accepted what he said, but many did not accept what he said. So I think the challenge, uh, the task for us is for people like you and others in Iraq is to increase the number of Iraqis who feel that all the Iraqis are my people. So all power to you in that mission. I think that's a very uh, powerful and poignant statement about the about learning to see ourselves in others, seeing ourselves even in our adversaries as a way to to find a new path toward reconciliation. And we've seen that time and time again, whether it's been South Africa, even the United States, and even other places and other parts of the world where there have been these major divisions, these these civil wars and the strife that have torn nations apart. But when we begin to realize that, that, that there is that common humanity in all of us that really does bind us together, there really is a way out of situations and circumstances that often seem hopeless. And so I think that's a positive note and a positive place for all of us to think about what we can do to be agents of change. So, well, that's a tremendous statement. I totally endorse it. <laughs> I, I'm very happy to get questions like that. And all I have to say is amen. <laughs> amen. Yes. Now, now, one of the things that uh, uh, you, are, you are famous for is your research, your writing. And because of uh, your unique place, 
you've got a chance to to look at your grandfather and look at other historical figures and start to see the lines and start to see how how each of these figures have influenced others who followed. We know that right now you're focused on Lincoln and Gandhi, and that's very important to those of us here in the United States because those are two men who have inspired our current president. Speak to what you see binding these great leaders together and and what we can all learn from from these historical figures. Um, yes, I, I, I want to spend enough time to study uh, uh, Lincoln and Gandhi together. Um, what I have uh, come close to completing, uh, Ian, is a related study, which is a study of the American Civil War and of a great revolt that took place in India just prior to the Civil War. Uh, sometimes it is referred to uh, as the Sepoy Mutiny. Uh, others sometimes call it the First Indian War of Independence. But that took place between 1857 and 1859, and the American Civil War, of course, was from 1861 to 65. And these two great events have been studied in detail in India by thousands of scholars, in America by hundreds of thousands or millions of scholars. But as far as I know, I am the first to study both these together. And this research of mine hopefully will uh, see publication in India by the end of this year. And it bears on the Lincoln-Gandhi story also, uh, which I am working on. I don't know when I'll have the chance to, to work adequately on it, but I do have some, some thoughts on this question. As I mentioned, uh, we, we know, he, everybody here knows of, of Lincoln's second inaugural and where he tries to answer the question uh, of why, why this great suffering, and he links it to slavery. And, and Gandhi, as many know, and many do not know in India, Gandhi did say again and again that perhaps all the afflictions we suffer from come from this idea of untouchability. That somehow this high and low idea that is responsible for all our sufferings. Um, of course, there are some very superficial similarities. Uh, both knew that they were likely to be assassinated. Both were assassinated. Both were very good lawyers. Uh, each was so sure that they were very bad-looking. <laughs> you know of Lincoln's famous uh, statement that, you know, somebody called him a two-faced man, so he said, if I had two faces, would I be wearing this one all the time? <laughs> <laughs> And similarly, Gandhi was always talking about his enormous ears. And, and uh, people called him Mickey Mouse, and he, he was very happy with that. <laughs> so, um, and, uh, but there is this deeper, deeper search in both of them. And uh, so, yes, there are really, although uh, Lincoln died at a much younger age, and Gandhi lived on for longer, uh, Lincoln successfully fought to, to retain the uh, United States as a single nation. Gandhi's fight 
uh, to keep India united was not successful. Um, but he was absolutely determined that in the new India, which was a smaller India than the one he had fought for, but he was absolutely sure, and this has continued, everyone in India, no matter their background, no matter their caste, no matter their religion, no matter their class, rich or poor, women or men, whatever their race, everybody has equal rights in India, at least in the theory, and often, though not sadly, always in practice. Um, so I, yes, this is something that, given time, I want to do further research on, uh, but I do find amazing parallels between these two personalities. I should add that in some ways, although Lincoln faced a humongously difficult task, in some ways Gandhi's was an even more difficult task. Um, because Gandhi was simultaneously also fighting for the independence of India, so in, Gandhi had to do the work of your first president and your 16th president <laughs> without being president <laughs> in his lifetime. And he didn't succeed in all his objectives, but he succeeded in some, and he has given an example for the rest of us to, to be inspired by. Good afternoon. Hi, Stephen. Uh, my name is Stephen Graysdorf. I live here in Bethesda, Maryland, and uh, I am currently serving as the assistant head at a small school for three-year-olds through eight-year-olds. For 75 years, Initiatives of Change has held out the, the values of honesty and purity and unselfishness and love, and um, individuals have reflected on how we can live our lives um, through these values and have these values reflected through us. And as I work with young children today, um, I've been reflecting on how to make these values real for a new generation of people. Um, wondering if you could reflect perhaps on how you see these values playing out among the students with whom you, you are teaching or among a new generation of people. Well, I have to uh, be honest and say, Stephen, that my knowledge of three-year-olds, four-year-olds, five-year-olds on a <laughs> systematic basis is not very fresh. <laughs> my children are a good deal older than that now. And the university students that I'm with are sort of 18 to 25. Uh, and uh, they are amazing. I, I, I think that, of course, in many ways, they're so quick and so smart, and they, uh, some things that we take years and decades to learn, they grasp like that in no time. Um, but I would like them also to, to, do, uh, to ask that question that I referred to earlier. If there is this huge crisis, what are the root causes of it? And to make that ask that question not in a spirit of anger, although it may, it's perfectly reasonable to, to come to a conclusion that certain things done by certain people are perhaps responsible. That is absolutely legitimate. But to, to go beyond, that might be the first step. These guys are responsible for it, and there may be truth in that, but the deepest possible understanding of why the world is where it is. Uh, and then see what 
our part should be. But how to do this uh, in a way that young people get it, Stephen, is something that I want to learn. It's not something that I have an expertise on. I have faith that that can happen. So I'd like to learn from you on that, Stephen. Hi, um, I'm Jesse. I'm from Richmond, Virginia, but I live and work in D.C. Um, and I have a question that follows up on the previous one. Um, I don't mean to speak for anyone other than myself, but I feel that as an American, as an American of my generation, it's easy to grow up and to feel somewhat um, detached or overwhelmed by some of the international conflicts or situations um, even discussed in this room today. Um, and I've been fortunate to participate in the Coast Scholars Program and to have opportunities to study abroad and to, to see a more personal face to some of those issues and to see that they're real and people involved are real. And I guess I'm just asking um, what we can do, not just as Americans, but as people, as individuals, to move beyond awareness of situations such as Darfur or Gaza and just feel more of a personal connection and um, be, I guess, inspired to take action or believe that there's something we can do. Um, you know that, uh, was it Ian who mentioned maybe uh, that I've recently been elected president of the International Association of Initiatives of Change. Um, and one of the very first things that I learned from uh, what then was not called Initiatives of Change, but is now called Initiatives of Change, was uh, it was conveyed through a picture. It was a picture of a young lad. He, it was a white boy. He was sitting at a desk, and there was a globe on this desk. And it was a caption underneath this picture, God has a plan and you have a part. Now, I was in India, but I somehow related to this boy. And I said, hey, wait a minute. And there was this globe. So there was a suggestion that each one has a part in changing the world <laughs> and that the Almighty has a part uh, Almighty has a plan and that every individual can have a part in it that was a tremendous inspiration to me uh, and I do really believe it now of course it's also true and all of us ask and we ask it as we grow older when we continue to see so much suffering and we see this enormous sadness in the world, including the economic suffering today, which is leaving nobody, not sparing anybody. We say, well, why? Why does God allow all this? But that is a great mystery that I think, as far as I'm concerned, will remain a mystery. I dare not address it. I, I cannot address it. Um, but then... I do also know that if there isn't a God that solves all the problems that we want solved, there certainly is a God of small mercies and sometimes large mercies and small miracles and wonderful things that happen, at least in some portions of our lives, in some parts of the world, that keep our faith going. So... Uh, so it is really, uh, so initiatives of change, 
has been inspired by and has moved forward by this belief that, yes, if you want to change the world, you must start with yourself. If you point your finger at your neighbor, three more fingers point back at you. <coughs> and also with this notion that the Almighty has a plan and you have a part. Raj Mohan, we thank you for your wisdom and your words today. And as I'm sure everyone can attest, we are so grateful that we could spend this time with, with you and with everyone here today. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining us today. We look forward to you guys joining us next week. And as Ian mentioned at the top of the, uh, the, the segment, we will be traveling to New Orleans April 16th through the 19th for the 26th annual French Quarter Festival. And we do invite you to join, join us on the road. Uh, we have been uh, granted an exclusive rate at the Weston Canal Place. And our listeners and friends and family can travel with us and enjoy a uh, discounted stay at the Western Canal Place for French Quarter uh, Festival. And all you have to do is contact the Western Canal Place Hotel and ask for the Traveling On Room Show Block. And there's also additional information on our blog, on our website. We look forward to spending some time with you again next week. Same time, same frequency. And until then, happy travels. Happy travels. Whether you're traveling by plane, train, or automobile, make TravelingOn.com your first stop. At TravelingOn.com, that's TravelIn-On.com, you can get current travel news and information, buy the latest travel book, and find those great travel bargains. Visit TravelingOn.com, your premier source for all things travel. That's TravelIn-On.com, and make sure to sign up for email specials and tune into the Traveling On radio show each week for a chance to win some great travel prizes.